Well, good morning. My name is Lisa Igram, and it's a pleasure for me to be here this morning as part of our summer series that is transitioning us um, into September, where we'll welcome Jordan, um, our new pastor, and Susie, his wife. And I have to admit that today, or that this past week as I've been sitting in the passages selected for today, they've been a gift for me. And so hopefully this can be a gift for you as well. As I was reading through today's gospel, I couldn't help but wonder what it would have been like to be Simon Peter or Andrew or James or John going about my daily work, just like any other day. It's likely that these men grew up on the water there on the Sea of Galilee. And from childhood, they would have been trained to fish. This is probably work that went back in their families for generations. And their fishing business was probably thriving. First, because the text tells us that they had hired hands. So obviously they had enough income and work to be able to hire help. But also in the first century, fish was a staple protein in the Greco-Roman diet. And historians tell us that fish was actually exported from the Sea of Galilee all the way to Egypt and up through Syria and Antioch. And so for Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, this day, like all days, was probably a lovely day out on the sea, supporting their families, fostering a thriving business, doing what they were good at, doing what they were raised to do, catch fish. It was a day like any other. And so as I read today's gospel, I wonder if they had a sense that change was coming as they walked to work that day. Had they heard about John the Baptizer's wilderness preaching, we actually read about this a few verses before, And as they mended their nets and prepared them for the day's catch, did they talk together about what this might have meant? I wonder if they had heard of Jesus. He was a man, a teacher from this kind of pit of a town called Nazareth, and he'd been out in the wilderness and John had baptized him and they might have heard rumors of this voice from the sky, but no one really knew what it meant. Had they heard that this man Jesus had been spreading the message that we read at the very beginning of our text this morning, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Because as I read this passage, and I I have to wonder, to have this wandering teacher come by, who they may have heard of, or maybe not, it's actually not clear in the text, and to hear this wandering teacher call out to them in the middle of their daily work, hey, come follow me, and for their response to, in verse 18, be to at once leave their nets, And in verse 20, without delay, leave their father to immediately follow. That seems pretty incredible. Now, it wasn't actually unusual for a person to become a disciple to a wandering preacher and to apprentice themselves to a wise person. But usually this was done at the initiative of the one who wanted to be discipled, who wanted the apprenticeship, not the teacher or the preacher themselves. And usually this kind of thing was done with a lot of deliberation and discussion especially when leaving livelihood and family for a time was part of the equation. Discipleship was an all-encompassing practice that involved living with and being with the teacher to learn not just intellectually and cognitively, but to in daily life and practice imbibe the wisdom of the teacher and everything that the teacher had to share, they would live in it, they would immerse in it, and be formed by it. And so really, only a lot of deliberation would precede this kind of a move. And again, it would have been done at the initiative of the wannabe disciple. And so for this wandering teacher to come find Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, 
right in the midst of their daily routines as fishermen, in the midst of carrying out the duties of a thriving business, for Jesus to come find them in the midst of their daily life, for the teacher to be the one to summon his own disciples. And then for the words, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, for these words to be enough for them to at once leave their nets, leave dad in the boats, and without delay, says the gospel, follow him. Something dynamic must have been happening that moment. Something deep in the fabric of their souls. Well, fast forward about three years, and we're going to head to John's gospel, because I think there's a story there that kind of bookends this story really well. John actually, his gospel gives a lot more detail about what life was like after Jesus had died. On the other side of Jesus' death and the confusion and darkness, we read of an almost unbelieving elation that Jesus had risen. So we read that the women saw Jesus at the tomb and that Jesus appeared literally through a locked door where some of the disciples were gathered kind of fearfully and quietly. We read of Thomas's doubt. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared through those locked doors and he needed to see for himself. And so Jesus appeared specifically so that Thomas could touch his hands and his side. And after all this had happened, and everyone was quite convinced that Jesus was indeed alive, there's this moment at the end of John's gospel where it seems like the disciples were sitting together and they kind of didn't know what to do with themselves. It happens in John 21, and we read that Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee, so that's James and John, they had left Zebedee in the boat, and though not specifically named, we can guess that Andrew was there too, we read that they were gathered And in my imagination, they just had a long conversation about Jesus really being alive, recounting all the times he had been seen, what he had said, conjecture about what it all means and what they should do now. And I imagine at a certain point, there wasn't really much left to process or ask, and they were just kind of waiting, and they didn't know what to do with themselves. And so Peter says, I'm going to go out and go fishing. We know from the Gospels that Peter is a pretty action-oriented guy and that he needed to do things. And so I can imagine after that whirlwind of three years with Jesus and the mind-blowing events of the past days, I can imagine Peter thinking, I need to do something that is normal, that I know how to do, that is familiar and predictable and that I understand. And so he says out loud, I'm going fishing. And the disciples look at him and say, we're coming too. So they're out on the sea that night doing this thing that they'd always done prior to these last three years, doing what they'd grown up doing, what was part of the dailiness of their lives, what they were good at, and they don't catch anything. And so the next morning, while out on the water, they see a man standing on the shore who calls out to them, hey, try throwing your nets on the other side of the boat. And so they do, and they catch so many fish that they literally can't haul the nets back into the boat. And of course, they realize that this man is Jesus. And I wonder at this familiar, familiar scene echoing in their memories. Jesus has once again come to find them in the midst of the ordinariness of their daily life. Of course, the dailiness of life had been quite different during those three years. When Jesus had beckoned them to follow him all those years ago, he was calling these disciples into a reorientation of their entire lives. And if they could have looked ahead at that first moment, the life he called them to would be both exhilarating and very, very difficult. The process of understanding who Jesus was 
and what it meant that he was the Messiah in a way that was entirely paradigm shifting to their expectation of who they knew the Messiah was going to be. This was a slow and ultimately very painful process, especially as they moved through those last days of Jesus' life and watched him die. And what they discovered in those three years, at least the way Mark tells the story, is that a significant piece of entering into discipleship with Jesus was also an entrance into a daily life kind of servanthood. Immediately on following Jesus, Mark writes that they hear him teach, and then they watch Jesus enter into the daily lives of so many others. Just in those next few chapters of Mark, they watch him cast out an evil spirit. They watch him go into Simon's house and heal his mother-in-law. They watch him be surrounded by crowds who bring forward their sick and demon-possessed to be healed. They watch him heal a man with leprosy. They watch him heal a paralytic. As they walk with Jesus, as they live with him, they see that wherever he goes, he sees the suffering and offers a kingdom of God kind of healing for those in need. And it's a healing that is physical for some and spiritual for all. And after being apprenticed to Jesus for those three years in the dailiness of listening and watching and living together and watching Jesus bring hope and healing into the dailiness of other people's lives, Peter, back on the beach again, three years later, hears from Jesus, feed my sheep. Continue on in discipleship, apprenticeship, and servanthood to me by serving those that I call my own in the dailiness of their lives and of your life, make disciples of others. Our Old Testament passage for today could have been written directly about these disciples who were called by Jesus to follow him, and I'm just going to read it again for us. In Isaiah 40, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, and from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus says to them, come follow me. Be my servant. Be my cooperative friend. These words are actually at the back of our liturgy. Be my sheep. Feed my sheep. And I'll be with you all along the way. Our New Testament passage also resonates with the dailiness of a life apprenticed to Jesus. Paul and the Corinthian church here were a bit at odds with each other. And Paul goes to great lengths elsewhere in his letters to them and here to say, our goal is to simply tell the truth about who Jesus is. We're not seeking to deceive or convince anyone with spectacular words and rhetoric. Spectacular words and rhetoric were highly valued in Corinthian culture in religious and philosophical teaching. In fact, this treasure we hold, says Paul, is in the ordinariness of who we are, in the dailiness of this jar of clay. I remember my first Sunday coming here to Holy Trinity. It was probably eight or nine years ago, and I sat in the very back pew. And I was here pretty hesitantly at that point in my search for a church. Uh, one of the dynamics of my conversation with God at that time included for me what was what felt like a profound question of whether God would still love me and whether he would still even really like me if I wasn't doing things for him. 
if I wasn't sacrificing and serving. And at that time, I was realizing how much of my motivation for serving and doing and ministering was very much out of a fear of not being acceptable. And it wasn't like I was trying to earn my salvation in any way. That was a secure thing in my mind. It went in some ways almost deeper than that, like I needed to do things or accomplish things to be liked or loved or acceptable. And what I heard as I sat in the very back pew here that morning was just what I needed. And it was to know that I could stay here and work through some of these questions that I was asking of the Lord. I stayed here because that morning I heard that nothing spectacular would be asked of me. I heard from this front space that the community here gathered each week to practice being apprenticed to Jesus in the midst of daily, ordinary life. I heard that morning what Susan shared first thing this morning for us at our opening, that these Sunday mornings were designed to provide a space for rest and reflection through beauty and quiet, allowing us just a moment to be redirected so that we could then go back out into the dailiness of our lives, of the lives that God has given us, a dailiness that actually is really rich and meaningful as his cooperative friends. That day, I remember being on the verge of tears with deep relief because this community wasn't going to ask me to do more, bigger, or better things. Instead, this place, week after week, was going to help me practice the simple act of looking up from my nets to see where Jesus was in the midst of my daily life, to see how I might cooperate with him in my coming and in my going, to know the presence and the strengthening of God in the daily task of living with and serving him, and to know that this humble jar of clay was more than enough to hold the treasure of the mercy and the grace that he has for me. And as our disciples discovered, who knows what might happen along the way. In coming together each week, we remind ourselves that we are responding to the call of Jesus. Come, follow me. Each week we gather as a community to be refreshed and to be renewed together before we go back out to love and serve the Lord in our daily lives as we clean our nets, as we manage our family business. Each week we have a chance to remember and confess those places and ways where our discipleship might have gone a little awry that week in thought, word, and deed, with things done and things left undone. Each week we have a chance to remember the gifts of God, to remember the places his presence was with us in, in small, tangible ways, the ways that he provided our daily bread. Each week we receive the bread and the wine at the table, the gifts of God for the people of God a tangible, embodied practice together that, in the words of our Isaiah passage, strengthens and helps us, that God uses to uphold us, that reminds us of our jar of clay, of our finiteness and our limitedness, and his gracious mercy toward us through Jesus Christ. In this place, we are literally nourished, body, soul, mind, and spirit. As a community, we're in the midst of a transition, and in the midst of a transition, it's a good idea to remind ourselves of the values that drew us and keep us here. As the vestry has led us through both the finding of our new pastor and this transition time now, it's so clear to me that these values aren't going to change, and I'm excited to see what might come as we continue to grow together in them, to continue practice being apprenticed to Jesus in the dailiness of our life, regularly gathering here to rest from work, reflect 
on life and redirect ourselves to Jesus as his disciples for the sake of others. In these next few moments of quiet, I would invite you to also remember what drew you here and what keeps you here in our journey with Jesus together. And in the quiet, allow those remembrances to become a prayer of gratitude before the Lord.